Oh Lord, we stand before you in worship and just lifting up your name, God, adoring you, God, in the sweetness of this time. We thank you for bringing us here today, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit moving already in your presence that we feel. God, we ask that you would bless your word right now, that your Holy Spirit will continue to minister and speak to us, God. And as we dwell before you, God, as we are at your feet, Lord, Jesus, speak to us. For we are listening, God. We want to hear from you. Bless your word today. Anoint it with your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And by the way, good morning. Aloha. Good morning, you guys. First service. Everyone connected. I know it's a little cold and rainy and windy, but... We're here in the warmth of God's love today as we study His Word. So Revelation chapter 3. You know, in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, no last place finisher of the marathon that day ever finished so last. The runner was from the United Republic of Tanzania. John Actuari had injured his leg and hobbled into the stadium, all bloodied and bandaged. It was more than one hour since all the other runners had completed the race. Only a few people were left in the stands when Akwari finally crossed the finish line. When a reporter asked him why he continued to run when he was so injured and in so much pain, Akwari replied, My country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me here to finish. I love that. Well, in the letter number six, in this letter number six to the churches, Jesus encourages the church in Philadelphia to be like Akwari, to be faithful to the finish. And that's the title of our message this morning, Faithful to the Finish. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 3 from verse 7 through 13 this morning, the next letter of the seven letter, uh, number six, uh, one more to go after this. And we're going to see three things, the unstoppable Lord, the unwavering commitment, and the unshakable promise. So let's begin with number one here. Faithful to the finish is our title once again. And number one in our outline, the unstoppable Lord, the unstoppable Lord. We're going to be covering verse 7, just for verse 7 here in this section. And take a look with me here now. Verse 7, Revelation chapter 3. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Well, we begin with, who this letter is going to. As we've been seeing in all the other letters we've been studying these past month, uh, it's going to the angel, or if you remember, the pastor or the leader of the church. Now, this church is a church in Philadelphia, or it, it is planted. It sits in the city or the area of Philadelphia there. Now, Philadelphia is 28 miles southeast of Sardis. I'm going to put up the map once again, I think, if we have that. Do we still have that? Uh, today, Philadelphia is Alashir, Turkey. 
And it actually sits on the junction of major trade routes there. It's really a, a main city there in the Roman Empire. Algar- uh, ow, ow. Agriculture is its main industry. And you know what? It was very important for grapes. It uh, harvested, it grew vine grapes, all the vines and everything over there. Also, Philadelphia was on Rome's imperial route, a postal route, so Philadelphia became known as the gateway to the east. And you can see on the map that Philadelphia is, is across from Ephesus, and it's thought, perhaps, that the church was planted from a result of Paul's ministry when he spent his time in those years in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Now, Philadelphia, actually, the name means love for brothers. You may be familiar with that, with uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love or something like that, right, on the mainland. The interesting thing about this city in Asia here, in ancient Asia, the city of Philadelphia was founded by King Attalus II of Perg in 189 B.C., about almost like over 200 years at the time this letter was written, before this letter was written. Well, when his brother, King Eumenes, had died, and then King uh, Attalus had taken over, King Attalus named buildings in honor of his brother, and he minted coins with the image of his brother. His loving and kind acts toward his brother earned him the nickname Philadelphius. And so they called the city Philadelphia. So that's how it came to be known as the city of uh, love for brothers, brotherly love. Well, we see who it's written to. It's this church here in Philadelphia. Next, we see who wrote this letter here. So in verse 7, once again we come and it says the words, these words of this letter are of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. Now, we see a description of Jesus once again. Jesus is the writer. He's the one who's sending this letter to, to this church. And actually, as you remember, it's going around to all the churches. And to all, not just the seven churches, but all the churches. As it, uh, This book of Revelation, as it's come to be, is to be read and uh, listened to and preached about in the churches back in the ancient time. So who wrote this letter? Well, these, this is from Jesus Christ. Now, here he describes himself in three ways. And the first thing we see, he says, the words of the Holy One. Now, that is a title of the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this is coming from the Messiah. God come from heaven to earth. And he's presenting himself as that Messiah who is saying, what I do is always right. I'm the Holy One. Then the second thing, he describes himself as the true one. The true one speaks of how the Lord is faithful or trustworthy. And so what he says is True. What he says is absolutely trustworthy and reliable. And then the third thing he describes himself as the one who has the key of David. Basically, Jesus holds the keys of the kingdom of God, which means he holds all authority. He's the one in possession and ownership of God's kingdom, and he holds the key. And so what he 
opens, it says here, right, in verse 7 at the end, what he opens, no one will shut. They cannot, because he's the one who opened it. And uh, he's the one who shuts, and no one can open, because he holds the key. He's the one in authority. So Jesus basically is saying, look, I sit in the seat of the highest position. No one can oppose me. I am the unstoppable Lord. You know what Jesus writes here about the key, holding the key of David, it actually comes from Isaiah chapter 22, from verse 20 through 22. Under King Hezekiah, God had placed Eliakim as basically secretary of state, prime minister, second to the king, being found faithful because his predecessor uh, was judged to be unfaithful, so Eliakim was put into that Place. So Eliakim was given the key of the house of David. And that's what it says in Isaiah 22, 22. So, so Eliakim ha- held the keys to the king's palace, right? He had that authority in government. So Jesus is saying here in verse 7 of chapter 3 that the keys to the kingdom are in his hands. It is his possession. Take note. Now, that this description of Jesus is the first time it's not taken from chapter 1. Remember, I had you keep referring back to what we saw at the end of the chapter 1, that section over there. But this is the first time that he doesn't really pull into what was described here, but he brings this new image, this new description of himself. But it is exactly what the Christians here in Philadelphia need to hear in their struggling church. So, Jesus comes with some comfort. And it's comforting to know Jesus is your unstoppable Lord for what He says goes and what He does is never wrong. That's really the gist of this as He's coming in with this description. Jesus is your unstoppable Lord for what He says goes and what He does is never wrong. You know, I've learned how to read reviews. Have you, like on Amazon, you know, before you buy something? I don't know if you do that. I really get into the reviews because I don't want to waste my money, right? I don't want to buy something and have it sent all this way to Hawaii and then it's junk. It's like, oh, it's such a hassle to return something. So I want that product to be good. So I've learned how to read the reviews and and I save time even in my searches by filtering out any of the bad products, you know, only the ones with a lot of reviews, only the ones I click on that four stars and up, you know. And and so I make sure everything I'm seeing is four stars and up. And even with that, I'm reading through the reviews and I'm reading everything, seeing what people are saying and all of that. And it is those testimonies, right, of many other buyers, they show how reliable that product is. Well, Jesus is really saying to the believers in Philadelphia, hey, you can rely on me. You can rely on my word. I am. Know this. And you guys know this. That's what he's saying. I am your unstoppable Lord for what I say goes and what I do is never wrong. And so listen here. Listen to what Jesus is saying. You know who I am. You know the testimonies, the reviews, so to speak, that are in the Bible. You know as I stand before, as I come before you in this way, there is not one instant in the Bible where God did not fulfill His word. Right? There's nothing 
that we can find in here. It's a good testimony. There's not one, one instance in the Bible where God did not fail in doing his word. There's not one instance in the Bible where Jesus said, Oh no, sorry, that's way beyond my power and authority. Jesus is coming to us right now and he's saying, I am your unstoppable Lord. For what I say goes and what I do is never wrong. Look in the Word. Go back to, say, the the reviews in here. I mean, everything is five star here. You can rely upon God to be unstoppable. He holds the keys of of David here. I know you may be sitting there and you may say, but God has disappointed me. I thought God would do this, but He didn't. So sometimes you feel like you cannot trust God anymore. But could it be it's because God did not give you what you wanted? Could it be maybe it's because God did not do what you expected? Could it be it's because you wanted what you wanted so you stubbornly refused God's will and plan for you? Could it be those things? That it's really on your part and not on God. But what you must hear today, what Jesus is saying here is, trust more what is written in the Bible. Trust more in what He says than your perception of things. Don't fight it. And if there's anything you should see, is it's harder to fight God than to trust Him. It really is, if you think about it. Jesus calls out to you, Hey, I will never do you any wrong. I will never, ever fail you. You know what? I've been praying the other day. I came across this in a devotion, and it's Psalm 62, verses 5 through 7. And David is speaking here, and, and, and he's crying out, and he says, For God alone, O my soul, I wait in silence for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. And I love this. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Oh, may the Lord help us all to see this. May the Lord help us all to be faithful to the finish because we have the unstoppable Lord with us. Well, let's go on to number two, the unwavering commitment. The unwavering commitment. And here we'll cover verse 8 through 11 in this section. Now, in this section, Jesus points out four wonderful things about this church in their unwavering commitment to Him. And He also gives them some great reassurance at the same time. So I want you to see this. Four things. Number one is this. They've been faithful in their mission. The Philadelphia church has been faithful in their mission. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power. And we'll stop right there. Jesus writes, I know your works. The NLT says, I know all the things you do. Now, 
Unlike the other churches, but like Smyrna, the one other church that we've been studying and reading in the letters, there is no words of rebuke here. If you notice, he comes right into commending them, saying, Hey, I know, I know all that you do in a positive way here. Jesus knows how faithful the believers here in Philadelphia been to their mission to minister in this city of Philadelphia. He sees that, how faithful they've been to that mission. And it seems they remain faithful even having, and notice he says in verse 8 in the middle, I know that you have but little power. Perhaps uh, many commentators believe that this was a small church, struggling maybe in different areas. Probably their, their mission from God to minister in that city was pretty tough, pretty maybe hard ground there, and it was a tough area to be in. But that didn't stop their commitment to do all that God wanted them to do. So Jesus reassures them here. He says in verse 8, he says, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now I put you there. I established you there. And though it's like you're struggling, it's, though it's like you have little strength and, 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 and it's difficult there. You know what? You know what, what I open, no one can shut. What I establish, no one can bring down. So I believe, even though this was a little church, in God's call and in God's power, this little church was making a big impact because Jesus established this ministry. Whatever that impact, they were making an impact. I like what Warren Wiersbe said, it is not the size or strength of a church that determines its ministry, but faith in the call and command of the Lord. That's where it's at. It's not about the numbers. It's not about how, how much stuff the church is doing, but it's about how they are faithful to exactly what God is calling them to do. And they're operating in God's power. God's command is really God's enabling. So Jesus recognizes the unwavering commitment found and they've been faithful in their mission. And he reassures them, hey, what I open, no one can shut. Well, the second thing Jesus uh, recognizes here is they've been honoring Jesus and obeying the word. They've been honoring Jesus and obeying the word. Now look at verse 8 and 9. The rest of verse 8, he says, And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So even though this church was of, quote-unquote, little power that Jesus says here, Jesus, he, he comes in and he praises the believers here in Philadelphia. First of all, he praises the Philadelphians saying, how they kept my word. You guys have kept my word. In other words, they obeyed God's word. They're faithful in obeying what Jesus had told them, what the apostles had preaching, God's word coming to them. They followed God's word. They, they didn't distort God's word for their own gain. They didn't dilute the word of God, only taking what they want. They did not ignore the word of God, but they obeyed the word. And the second thing, Jesus praises the Philippians here that they have not denied 
my name at the end of verse 8. They have not publicly or internally denied Jesus even with any persecution or, or struggle. They stood there saying, I am a believer in Jesus. And with that, Jesus reassures them though. He reassures them that one day they're going to be justified for all the suffering they've taken, all the persecution, all the put-downs and everything, by talking about these guys in uh, uh, the city of Philadelphia. He says in verse 9, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but this is just like back in Revelation 2.9 with the church in Smyrna, right? The persecuted church that Jesus mentioned a synagogue of Satan there, which was these Jews. And basically, they're the ones that, that say, well, we're loved by God. We're favored by God. We're actually with God. And Jesus is saying, they're actually not. They think they are. They have the synagogue of God as they come against and persecute the Christians there in Philadelphia. But actually, they lie because it's not true. They are of the synagogue of Satan. You know what that means? They're about doing the mission of Satan and trying to destroy the believers there in the city. Well, one day, Jesus says, One day, though, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. Now, that doesn't mean they come to worship, but they come to recognize in humbleness when they learn that God actually loved these guys, that these guys were the favored one, that they were actually God's people, not these Jews who are coming against them. One day, they'll bow in that way and recognize well, we believe that this will probably be at the day of judgment when these so-called Jews will see plainly acknowledge that oh, you guys actually belong to God. So Jesus is saying, look, since you Philadelphians honored me, Jesus will honor them. We know Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11, Paul wrote that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, everyone will bow and confess that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord. And we may stand for God and suffer persecution because we stand for Jesus and we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And maybe people laugh. Maybe people put us down. Maybe people think we're crazy. But you know, one day, all that we have done and stood for will be justified and acknowledged and shown that what we believe in and who we know is absolutely true. Because the whole world, one day, in that day of judgment, they're going to see Jesus for who He is. So here's the Philadelphians in their unwavering commitment. Jesus found how they've been faithful in their mission. They've been Honoring Jesus and obeying the word. And number three, Jesus found this. They've been extremely loyal during the hard times. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So Jesus knows this. Jesus, as he looks upon them, he knows all things. He knows how this church, how, he says in verse 9, 
Or, I'm sorry, verse 10. Because you've kept my word. What word? About patient endurance. They kept this command to keep patient endurance. To endure. To persevere through the hard times. In other words, Jesus like, hey, keep going here, you guys. Hold on. Persevere. Persevere through the hard times. No worry. Do what I command you to do. And that's what they did. They did not give up. They kept going. They kept doing what Jesus asked them to do. They didn't go, oh, forget it. It's not working out like what I like. No. They were faithful here to keep His word, to endure all that suffering. And so Jesus reassures them. And I love this, you guys. This is, this is so awesome. He comes back, he says, you know what? I will keep you from the hour of trial or the hour of tribulation, the hour that is coming on the whole world. What is that? Well, Jesus here is talking about the judgment that is going to fall upon the whole world. So he said, I'm going to save you from that. I'm going to keep you from you going through all of that. I'm going to... Um, keep you for how I'm going to bring tribulation upon those who dwell on the earth. So this is the judgment that's going to fall upon the world. And you know what this speaks about? It speaks about the rapture of the church before the seven years of tribulation. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is pretty obvious. Now, if you missed our studies back in First Thessalonians, you can go to our YouTube channel or our podcast, church podcast, and find the ones on the rapture. Uh, and, and you remember how we talked about all that, that before the seven years of tribulation of judgment that falls upon this world, those last seven years, Jesus will come and take his church out of this earth, out of this time. First Thessalonians, remember, 4, 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Hooray. Hooray. Amen. It's coming, guys. And I love this because we see it right here where Jesus is saying, Hey, you know what? I, I love it. You guys have been faithful even through this time of hard times and suffering. But you've, you've been faithful. I'll tell you, I'm going to come before it even gets worse and judgment truly falls upon this world. I'm going to come and take you away before it comes upon the whole earth. To all who dwell on the earth. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 5 9, it also says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not destined to be under the wrath and judgment of God. Why? Because we believe in Christ's atonement upon us. And so we, we are already washed under the blood, we are counted righteous already. So we're not going to be under that judgment that falls. So that means Christ will take us home to heaven before all of this judgment falls and his wrath, God's wrath, falls upon the earth. So Jesus sees how loyal they've been to Jesus. And so Jesus is going to be loyal to them and keep them out of the seven years of tribulation. How beautiful is this? So Jesus 
He recognizes their wonderful, unwavering commitment. How he's found they've been faithful in their mission, number one. They've been honoring Jesus and obeying the word. Number three, they've been extremely loyal during the hard times. Number four, the last thing in this section, Jesus has found they've been hanging on in this hope of Jesus' return. They've been hanging on in this hope of Jesus' return. This is verse 11. Jesus says in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now, I love this because Jesus right away acknowledges what they've been hanging on to in hope of Jesus' return. And he confirms it. He says, I am coming soon. What a word to hear today. What a word to hear right now as we're in the book of Revelation and we're in these times that we live in with the world spinning this way, with the countries going crazy, with things happening in the Middle East, with our own country. And Jesus says to us today, what a word. Can you hear it? I am coming soon. Who? I love that. Jesus is saying that right now, you guys. And so with that assurance, he, he tells them, hold fast. Like, hang on. Keep hanging on like you've been hanging on. Be continually loyal and faithful. Hold fast what you have, what you've been doing, so, uh, so that no one may seize your crown. Seize means to take away. In other words, hang on to this hope. Hang on in doing what you do so no one would steal your crown. Seize or steal your crown. Now, the crown, you remember, was that winning wreath, that, that head wreath. It was like the ancient gold medal, you know, in the Olympic Games and all back then. Well, believers will receive a crown as they enter eternal life and receive their glorified body. That's the finish line for us. We're all winners here. We're all, when we cross that a finish line going into eternity, we will receive our gold medal. There's no bronze medal, no silver medal. We all get that crown because of what Christ is doing in us. So here's Jesus saying, hang on and persevere till I return for you. So hang on and be faithful to the finish. That's our title. Be faithful to, our, to the finish. No matter what's going on, no matter how hard it may get here in this life, as we head in toward these seven years, things are going to get harder for us, for Christians, for believers, and what we believe in and who we stand for. Jesus is saying, hang on and persevere till I come for you. Be faithful to the finish. During World War II, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned in Germany for taking a stand against the Nazi regime, basically. Some actually criticized him at that time. He was trying to call all the pastors and Christians, and he saw things happening, and he got in prison, but he's telling all the other, other leaders, oh, you can't do this, you can't go with this. And Well, a lot, a lot of uh, guys had criticized him, saying, why expose yourself to such danger, like, being thrown in prison. Jesus will come any day and all your suffering will be for nothing. In other words, don't worry about it. Just back down. Jesus is coming anyway. Well, this pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, replied, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow 
a rest from my labor. But today I have work to do. I must continue to struggle until it's finished. I love that heart and attitude. And that's what we are to have. Maybe we're tempted to do nothing when things get hard. Maybe we're tempted to just walk away from things. Oh, Jesus, just come right now. I'll just, I'll just hang out here until you, you return. But Jesus wants us to never give up and not give up in striving for that finish line. To run our race. To do all that God has called us to do. To reach for the prize, as he said in 1 Corinthians. Or right, 2 Timothy 4.7 when Paul wrote, At the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what I want to be able to say, right? I want to be able to say that, and I want to say that right now, that I'm fighting the good fight. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing this race all the way. I want to keep the faith. This is what it means to be faithful to the finish. So here we've seen in this letter the unstoppable Lord, the unwavering commitment. And now we come to number three, the unshakable promise. The unshakable promise. And here we end with the last two verses in this letter. And we begin with verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. We'll stop there. So to the one who conquers, the overcomer, the one who is there doing all they can to finish the race that God had set for them, the true believers, Jesus is saying, those guys who hang on, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God and you're never going to go out of it. In other words, there's assurance in heaven that you have a place and you will be a pillar. Pillar really speaks about stability and permanence. And I'll tell you, for the citizens here in Philadelphia, the guys who lived there back then, this they could relate to this because there's many earthquakes that happened there. Uh, but what would still be standing in the end? The pillars, <laughs> the columns in their buildings. Uh, in 17 AD, there was a big earthquake that destroyed the city, and, and it was so big that some never even moved back into the inner city. They, they were all on the outskirts. But believers will be established forever and secure and never go out of it. Understand that. You will never be kicked out of heaven. Don't think that. Don't think the rapture happens. You're with the Lord, and all of a sudden, you're all scared, like, oh no, what if, what if I do something wrong there? Or what if God remembers something and then, boop, see you later, pew, and you're back on the earth. No, that will not happen. Matter of fact, you'll be established there. You'll be like a pillar in heaven. And then Jesus says this, not only that. He says, I will write on him the name of my God. In other words, God's name will be written on you, meaning that you belong to God. And then not only that, he's going to write the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. We're going to see that at the end of Revelation, when, when after the thousand years, the millennium, God will make a new 
heaven and earth and the new Jerusalem, the new city of God will come down. And, and uh, it's all described there. Well, the name of that new Jerusalem will also be written on you. You know what that means? That means you will be a citizen of God's city of heaven. You know, it's like, uh, you know how uh, Maui Tropics, uh, they have those shirts with where you live, like Pa'ia or, you know, Pukulani or whatever, Haiku, yeah? It'll be like that. On us will be written the name of the new Jerusalem because that's our home. And we're citizens of that place. And then Jesus adds another name. He says, and my own new name. Now this new name, we don't know exactly what it is. But we've seen a lot of descriptions here. And we've seen a title even here. In, in, uh, we've seen descriptions in the letters. But here in this letter, we saw that title of the true one, the holy one. Well, in Jesus' glorified state, and as we are with him forever, there will be another title for him, probably part of his description of who he is, the Lord God, something, something, maybe. Well, I'm not sure. We don't know. But that will also be written on us, saying that we belong to Jesus too. So lastly, this is what we see. The Lord Jesus gives us his unshakable promise you will be in heaven with God, for you know you belong there. You belong there. That's your home. Think about how comforting this is for the Philadelphia believers. They're struggling. Maybe they're small, little power. But Jesus comes and encourages them. Hey, I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen no matter what you kept going, no matter how hard or what it looked like, you kept going. And you know what? What I've opened, no one can shut. Whatever I, I've established, no one can shut. And just keep going. Hold on. Hang on. I'm coming. I'm coming. Because I'm, I promise you, you will be in heaven with me. Because you belong there. One father was asked by his little boy why he wrote their last name on a piece of masking tape and put it on the back of that little boy as he dropped them off, right, to Keiki Church. The father told him, well, the name on your back is our family name, and that means you belong to me. That's that idea. You belong to the family of God, and so it is with God. Be comforted this morning. Be comforted. Know this. Put it in your heart. I belong to God. I'm part of His family. I'm a citizen of heaven. My home is... Is heaven. And God is saying, I will do all these things. And I, my promises are unshakable. So then we close up here today with verse 13. And Jesus, once again, as he's been closing all the letters, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to, church, to the churches. Everyone has ears. But not everyone has ears to really hear what God is saying. Not everyone is really listening to what the Lord is saying. So will, he, will you really hear what Jesus is saying in here? Will you really receive His Word? Will you really trust in Him? Will you take this comfort that He's given you to be true, to be real? He'll never do you wrong. He'll never fail you. Will you really respond to all that what God is saying.
Think about this now. I've been giving you nicknames to these churches, right? Every week, practically. And in every church, they had a certain problem or, or it, 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 you know, I've been giving you nicknames to kind of tell about what's going on in that church, basically. And I want to go through this again, but just like in every church, like our church, we're going to have some Philadelphians, but we may have some Ephesians in here too. Search your heart and where you are as we go through this. We saw, first of all, the church of Ephesus, the loveless church, for they left their first love. Could that be you? We saw in the church of Smyrna, the languishing church, for they were suffering under persecution. Maybe that's you. Be encouraged as they were. The church of Pergamum, the lenient church, they were allowing compromise, right? Is that you? The church of Thyatira, the living for self church, right? Corrupted by sin by put, putting self above God. Maybe that, that's you. Maybe that describes your life. How about the church of Sardis? We saw last time, the lifeless church. You looked alive, you go through the motions, but inside you're really dead spiritually. Is that you today? Or maybe, I like to say, and I like to be, that I like to be the church of Philadelphia, the loyal church. Consistently being faithful till Jesus comes back. Now, which church do you identify with? Be honest. Be real. Look inside your heart. Maybe there's even parts of your heart that connect with some of these, you know, one of several of the six churches we've been looking at. Which one do you identify with? You know, I want to be like Philadelphia. Don't you? The church in Philadelphia. I want to hang on. I want to keep going. I want to go all the way. I don't want to just start off good and then just falter. Vance Havner once said, too many people go up like rockets and come down like rocks. I don't want to be that. I want to identify. I want to be, and I'd like our church to be like the church in Philadelphia. I'll close with this. It's been said, high up in the Swiss Alps, a small monument stands in honor of a faithful guide who perished while ascending the peak to rescue a stranded climber. Under his name inscribed on the memorial stone are three words. He died climbing. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be known as. Don't you? So let's all be faithful to the finish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word once again as it speaks to us, God. And Lord, have we seen the testimony, your testimony about this church, God? We've heard your reassurance, reassurances and encouragement, God. And God, I want to be a Philadelphia believer, God. I want to be like these guys, faithful to the finish, hanging on. I may not feel strong. I may not feel uh, uh, I have a lot of power. I feel weak most of the times. I feel more like nobody. But God, you recognize, Lord, this church because you have called them, you established them. And no matter what the world may think or how people may define what success is, 
God, if we're doing what you called us to do, if we're doing your will, what you want us to do, that's success, no matter. And so, Lord, help us today to be the faithful ones, the loyal ones. Help us to look at you as the unstoppable Lord working in our life, God. Lord, give us that unwavering commitment like this church had. And Lord, we will trust in and rely upon, God, your your promises, God. All your promises that you've given us for heaven, Lord. Lord, all your unshakable promises. God, make us unshakable. That no matter what life may bring, what the world, what may happen in the world as we live in these end times, that we would be like Paul. And in the end, we, would, we can confidently say, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. As our heads are bowed right now, I want you to take a moment to just confess to the Lord. Perhaps one of the churches we studied so far is you. And what perhaps one of the problems they've had, perhaps there's a part of that in you that you've been catering to. As our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to confess that to Jesus. Because he wants to forgive you and he wants to cleanse you and he wants to lift you up and change that in your life. Take a moment right now and pray. In the quietness of your heart and mind, call out to Jesus. Lord, as we come to you as your church, as your people that you love and favor, God, we are so sorry for our sins and we confess them before you and ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us this day. God, that you would give us, Lord, a renewing of our heart and minds, God. That you would wipe away, Lord, bad attitudes and evil thoughts. That you would keep us from the wicked flesh, Lord, and free us, Lord, from habits that bring us down. And at this moment, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon us and and fill us and touch us that we may walk out of here different, Lord, that we may be like the believers in Philadelphia, that one day you would say the same things of us, Lord. So, God, we ask for a fresh filling of your Spirit right now. Lord, there's no one else but you. There's nothing else that matters, God. And we believe in what is coming to this earth. And we believe that one day we will be with you soon. And whatever time is left on this earth right now, help us, God, to live and surrender to you. To live, God, with our hearts given over to you and doing all we can to fulfill your will and your calling in our life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you speak to us. You encourage us. Your spirit convicts us. But then you forgive us and lift us up and get us walking again. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.